I decided to call this message the new normal because people have been talking about the new normal for the last six or seven months and I hadn't used that title yet, uh, but uh, I've been wondering about the new normal myself. I think, I think we're all wondering, um, what is the new normal? When will we, when will we get there? How will we even recognize it when it happens? I mean, uh, we're, we, we know that there are things that are still unfolding as this, uh, as this, um, uh, pandemic and all the different, uh, uh, responses to it have taken place. We know that, that the world is changing, but we don't really know, um, if we're done yet. I mean, I, I certainly don't have much confidence about the shape of the future, and my guess is you don't either. If, if you had to bet today, um, on the election, would you be sure who was going to win? Would you be sure when you would know, uh, who had won? In, in the past, um, I've been used to finding out on, on election night, and I'm not sure that that's going to happen now because of all the questions about about ballots and mailing and all that sort of thing. I don't know when we'll actually know for sure who won the election. I have all kinds of questions about the future. I think a lot of people are wondering about schools. When are schools going to be fully reopened? Um, are, are schools ever going to be fully reopened? Is there ever going to be a future for schools that looks like uh, the the past? Is there going to be a new normal that looks like the, the past, or is it going to be a, an entirely different kind of new normal? And I know uh, not just myself, but a lot of people who are um, uh, uh, pastors of churches are wondering the same kind of questions about the church. What is the new normal going to be for the church? Have we arrived? And if we haven't, how long will we be in this in this uh, intermediate place? Um, we've been in a lot of intermediate places, all the different phases of reopening and then the reset and things like this. We've been wondering, how will we... How, how long will we be in this intermediate place and when will we actually arrive at the new normal? And of course, when we get there, what will it look like? So we wonder about these questions and we wonder, and while we're waiting for it to arrive, while, how do we, how do we navigate this place in between the old normal and some eventual future new normal? How do we, how do we do that? What's it going to look like when we get there? How will we recognize it? Um, uh, when it happens, and what do we do in the meantime for however long we're between those two normals? If you've wondered questions like that uh, for whatever your own circumstances are, whether it's schooling or work or whatever, if you've wondered that question, um, there's there's uh, there's good news. There's there's a, a passage in the Bible where people were wondering exactly the same question. They were wondering, what will the new normal be? And when will we, you know, what are we supposed to do while we, while we wait for it? And how will we recognize it when it comes? And that, that place is in the, the letter of the prophet Jeremiah to some people who were in Babylon. Jeremiah was a prophet who ministered from, uh, about 620 BC to the middle part of the, the 500s BC. So he was, uh, he was uh, ministering about six, six and a half centuries before the time of Christ. And he was a prophet, and that meant that he spoke for God. He told people what God's uh, intentions were for them. And uh, at that point, um, God had some, some bitter news for the people of God. Uh, and as a result, Jeremiah got a reputation as a very gloomy prophet. A lot of people didn't want to hear what Jeremiah had to say. And um, so he he uh, 
was not somebody that when he showed up, people enjoyed listening to. And the reason was because he was sharing this information that God had given him about the future of the people of God. And what he was saying is that, uh, yes, they had a special relationship with God. God loved them. Uh, they were his special chosen people. And yet God was not going to protect them from their neighbor Babylon. Babylon was a neighboring empire uh, located in the Fertile Crescent today, what would be modern-day Iraq. So if you think of a place about, if you think of the Holy Land and then move about 800 miles um, to the east of that, that's where Babylon was located. Babylon was an empire that was kind of on the rise. It had recently conquered um, the Assyrian Empire, and uh, it would be uh, several more decades before Babylon, in turn, would be conquered by the Persian Empire. So it was this period of uh, a great deal of geopolitical intrigue and churn, and uh, Babylon is kind of riding high now, and they've been swallowing up one neighbor after another. And Jeremiah tells them, guess what? You're next. The people of Judah were, were kind of thinking that, that God would look out for them, and God would watch over them and keep them from being harmed. And Jeremiah said no, that God was actually going to allow them to be conquered by Babylon. And uh, so nobody liked hearing uh, from Jeremiah. But what he said turned out to be the truth. In 597, Babylon did conquer um, uh, the, the land of Judah. And um, they, you know, there was horrific violence. You read the Book of Lamentations. It was just a terrible experience for everybody. Um, and they did what conquerors did in those days. They they uh, stole everything that, that could be carried off. And they took a lot of the people, too. They took a lot of people into captivity, um, marching them off back to Babylon, where if you had a useful skill or they thought that somehow that you would be worth taking, they took you with them. So for us to imagine that, imagine if Canada conquered America and and the, the, the nation of the Yukon territories uh, conquered Alaska and uh, they... They conquered uh, Anchorage, and they they took everything of value in Anchorage, and then they marched a whole bunch of people from Anchorage back to Whitehorse. That's basically the situation. So now imagine that you are either left in Anchorage with all those people missing, and you know all the the, the destruction from the the battles, or you are in Whitehorse, and and that's what we what we um, that's the kind of mental picture we can have of this time. Uh, six centuries before the time of Christ, as Jeremiah writes from Jerusalem, which has been conquered, to the people in Babylon who have been taken there. He says, the prophet, uh, or we read, the prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few survivors, few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. So that's the situation. He's writing them a letter. There would be caravans periodically that would take tribute because the Babylonians wanted more out of the land of Judah and all their other conquered lands. So they would they would ask for these things and you had to hand them over. And so uh, Jeremiah uh, sends a letter by way of one of those one of those um, one of those caravans of tribute, and in it. Um, he, he has a message for the, the people in, in Babylon. And we can imagine that they might have been uneasy opening that letter. They might have said, uh, this guy has always got bad news. I mean, look how bad the news turned out to be. We had no idea that God would even allow this to happen, much less how horrible the, the circumstances would be. 
So we can imagine that they would say, all this guy's going to do is, you know, rub it in. He's going to say, I told you so, uh, you know, and who wants to, to, uh, read that? You know, I'm, I'm busy here. I'm, I'm busy learning Babylonian and, and trying to just make, make, um, make it through the day here. So we can imagine they would have been reluctant to read it. But on the other hand, they might also say, to be fair, he did predict this, so maybe it's worth reading what he's got to say. Maybe he's got something to tell us. And so presumably they do do read it, and so we pick that up in verse 4. The letter begins this way. He says, The Lord of heaven's heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the, Israel, all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. So it begins by saying that this is not a letter from Jeremiah. This is a letter from God. The, and he says, The God of Israel. He says that I am still your God. Yes, you have been carried off to to Babylon, but I am still in a relationship with you. That has not changed. And he says more than that. He says that he is the Lord of heavenly forces. He says he's he's the the Lord of the armies of heaven. And he says uh, you were not conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. You were not conquered because because he beat my forces in a battle that my forces are way more powerful than any earthly army. I am the Lord of heavenly forces. And what has happened has, hap- has taken place because I permitted it to happen. He says, it wasn't even really Nebuchadnezzar who carried you off to Babylon. He says, I carried you off from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, he says that whatever else you think, Whatever else you think about this circumstance, it is not because I was defeated or because I've given up on you. He says, I am still your God and I am still uh, the, the creator of heaven and earth. I still rule what takes place on the earth. And if you have been carried off to Babylon, it is because I have permitted it. That there is a reason that I have where I decided that it would be, it would be um, acceptable for this to take place. So God says that, that this is what has happened. And we can, we can have the same thought in our own circumstances that, that God is telling us the same thing, that, that, uh, the coronavirus and, and all the other problems that we've had this year, none of that has come as a surprise to God. None of it has, has snuck up on Him. None of it has overpowered Him. God is, uh, the, still the Lord of heavenly forces and God, um, uh, did not uh, get overwhelmed or surprised by all of the circumstances of 2020. So what does he say? What does he say? Well, actually, it's worth it's worth noting that when God says that, that that um, gives us a place to complain. That that we can say, well, yeah, but I don't like your plan. I don't like being conquered. I don't like being taken off to Babylon. I don't like 2020. And, and that's okay. And in fact, what we see, if we read the book of Psalms or we read the book of Lamentations, we see that people did complain. God is saying, it won't do you any good to complain to Nebuchadnezzar. He's not interested in your opinion, but I am. Feel free that because I have, I have taken it, uh, I have taken responsibility myself. I have said that it was I who carried you off to Babylon. God is inviting them to complain to him, and so they do. There's Psalms of Lamentation. There's the whole book of Lamentations where people say, God, 
why? How, how come you allowed this terrible thing to happen? God is, God is saying, that's okay. We can complain to God and, and we can complain today about 2020. We can lift up our laments. If you're not sure what to say, start with the book of Lamentations. Start with the Psalms. There are lamentations in, in both of those books that, that help us to understand how we can complain to God in a way that, that God's, God's okay with. God will hear our complaining about our circumstances. That's not, that's not, going to get us in worse trouble that that's actually something God is okay with. So so God God says I take responsibility. I'm I'm accountable for what happened and um that's okay. You can bring your complaints to me. But then he goes on. Then he says, "Here's what you do while you're waiting for the end of your exile. While you're waiting for that new normal that, that you don't even know when it will happen." He says this. He says, "Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce." Get married and have children, then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. He says that you're going to be in this unsettled state for a while. Don't, don't assume it's going to be over right away and don't assume you're going to be able to go back to the old normal. He says you're going to have to live in this space. It's, it's uncomfortable for you. I know that, but you're going to have to live in this uncertain space for a while. How long a while? Long enough that you can build a house. Long enough that you can plant a garden. Long enough that you can have children and grandchildren. It's going to be a while. God says, get used to this. It's not the final normal, but in some sense it is a, it is a new normal for you on your way to that, that new normal that is um, further out. So he says, do these things. But then he says this, Increase in number there so you don't dwindle away. God says, I'm not done with you. I'm not just sending you off to the, 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 the scrap heap. I'm not sending you off to the garbage bin. That, that I'm not saying, that's it. Good luck. Figure it out on your own now. He says, no, I'm still in a relationship with you and I want you to increase in, in number. That even in this uncertain time, even in this unsettled place you're in, that you will thrive. You will not simply exist. You will actually uh, thrive. You will actually begin to to rebuild and um, you will not dwindle away. So God says that in this place there will be blessing. And then he gives them maybe the most the the most difficult thing for them to imagine. He gives them an assignment. He gives them he gives them a vocation. He says promote the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Now if you got sent into Whitehorse, that may not be your first impression. It's like, these guys conquered me, and they made me walk 800 miles to Whitehorse, and I'm not really happy about it. I do not want to promote the well-being of Whitehorse. And we can imagine they felt the same way about Babylon. So so uh, he's giving them something that is going to be hard for them to to take. Um, but he says, he says, do it. He says, I want you to promote the welfare of the city where I've sent you. And he says, pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. So he says why they should do it. He says that, that as it thrives, they will thrive. Um, so, so God gives them some motivation, but he says something in there that, that we can gloss over because we assume that if there is a God, that God is in charge of, of heaven and earth. And, and that it would just be, be a natural for us to assume that we could pray to God in Whitehorse or in Anchorage, either one. If we're in Jerusalem or if we're in Babylon, we can pray to God. 
they would not have thought that, or, or not many of them. In fact, that's one of the reasons that God allowed Babylon to conquer them, because because up until this point, uh, as we read the, the history of the, the people of God, we see that they were perpetually wondering whether God's authority extended to some different area. They would come across some new neighbors, they would they would have an interaction with a kingdom that was nearby, and the, the other kingdom would have different gods than them, and they would say, oh, you guys have, that looks like a good God, maybe we should follow that God too. Or maybe we should follow that God instead of the one that we had been following. And so God has, God has, has always been seen by a, a, a group of people as somebody who is local, that he's in charge of this area, he's in charge of the, the, the region around Jerusalem, but, but only that small area. And God is saying, no, I am the God of heaven and earth. I am the God of Babylon and to the far ends of the earth. He says, and you can pray to me there, that if you pray, even in Babylon, I will hear your prayers. He says, pray to the Lord for everything. Bring your complaints to me, pray, pray, you know, lamentations, but also pray for the blessing of the city where you're located. Do both of these things. Do, do any kind of prayer to me because I will hear it even off in Babylon. And he goes on to say in verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. God says, you don't see the full picture. You don't understand why this all took place. And you certainly don't understand what the new normal will be when it arrives. But I do. I know this unsettled place you're in now, this place of exile, this place between the old normal and the new normal. I know these things. But I also know the new normal. And it is a good normal. It is, it is a, a plan to bring you peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. God says, I know the future. And God still knows the future. We don't know what the new normal will be either. We don't know what will happen uh, in the rest of this year. We don't know uh, how things will shape up. We don't know how that's going to to be in our economy. We don't know how it's going to be in the field of politics. I don't have an, any idea what it's going to be like in the area of church. I know that that we legally could begin gathering again. We we now have the legal authority. We could do that. Um, there's precautions we'd have to take in terms of social distancing and sanitation and so forth, but we could. The reason we have, haven't rushed back into that is because we've got some practical considerations. One of them is that our congregation, um, uh, or a large number of our congregation, um, are uh, in at-risk groups that because of age or because of other health conditions, people in our congregation are not, um, are not as, as likely to weather the, the, the coronavirus as other people. So we've been reluctant to kind of rush into that until we have a better understanding of how, how the disease is and when we might see uh, better therapies and, and uh, hopefully soon a, a vaccine. So we've been reluctant to rush back into that. We've also been concerned about just the, the size of our worship space. We just don't have that big of a worship space. And so if we've got social distancing, you know, how would we make that all work? 
And of course, we've wondered about singing. The one thing we're sure of about, well, I don't know if we're sure about anything about coronavirus, but, but what we've been learning about it is that because it is a respiratory uh, illness, that the, the, the more you, you expel air from your lungs, the, the more likely you are to transmit the disease. And so, so we've got concerns about should we have singing when we, when we do begin meeting again, what will worship be like if we don't have singing? We, we are still wrestling with all these questions. We are in this time of exile as we try to figure out what the new normal will be. And in the meantime, we're kind of trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure out how we will go about the, the process of, of getting to some new normal in the area of church. But while we do, we have another assignment. We are called as Christians to to make disciples of all nations. We we have been given a mission. Jesus told us that we would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are to seek the welfare of this unsettled place that we find ourselves in, that even in this place of exile, this place between the old normal and the new normal, that we have a mission, we have a vocation, just like those people did 26 centuries ago, that we are called to do to do a particular thing. And so one of the things we're wrestling with is not just how we can be church for one another, but how we can be church for the people in our community. How we can, how we can help them learn about the good God who has good plans for their future, plans for hope and not destruction. How do we do that? We are wrestling with these questions. And I don't know the answers. I don't know anyone who does know the answers. I'm following uh, uh, church discussion groups and things like this. I'm trying to learn from other pastors. Uh, but we're also discussing it in our church leadership. And one of the things we're going to be discussing this fall is how do we budget for this new place we're in, uh, whether it turns out to be the new normal or whether it's uh, just a place of exile on the way to the new normal. We're, we're going to be thinking about what does our budget look like? Or how are we going to be spending our money differently than we have in the past? We're going to be thinking about what sort of skills we need in our leadership. What, what, who, who is God calling us to elevate into positions of leadership so that they can help us navigate this uncertain time. We're all wrestling with this uncertain place we're in because, because we don't know, we don't know what it's like to live in this new normal place. We don't know, even know if this is the, the final new normal or if just a, a stopping place on it, on the way. We don't know how long we'll be here. What we do know is that God calls us to bless the community that we're part of, to seek the welfare of this city because our future depends on its future. Let's be about that work as well as we can, even in the face of all the uncertainty. Let's do that because it's our calling as Christians and it's the calling of the people of God down through the years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that even in this messy middle time, this time between the old normal and the new normal, um, that you are with us, that you hear our prayers, even in this strange place. Um, and Lord, we pray that you um, you will hear as we seek wisdom, as we seek to discern who, who should lead this church, as we seek for um, the confidence to make budgetary decisions in a, in a time when, when so much of our economy and uh, so much of our own personal finances is, is, um, is uncertain. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to trust that you do know the plans you have for us 
and to guide us as we seek to be about the work that you have called us to. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.